Uh, this morning is, as has been said, the first, the kind of preview week of our life group uh, semester for the spring. And uh, I decided a while back when Pastor asked me to speak, I looked at the calendar and I thought, man, you know what? I really want everybody who's present on that Sunday to walk away with at least a desire to see what a gospel-shaped community could do in their life. Um, so this morning, we're going to look at Paul's writings, the beginning and endings of his letters, and see what we can tell from his writings, what the gospel-shaped communities of his time look like, and then pull from that what we can actually benefit from as part of being in that group. But before I get any further, I just want to ask you if you would pray with me um, to seek God for today's work. Father, we thank you. We thank you for... Uh, the worship that we've been part of, the singing time that we've been able to join into to celebrate who you are. We thank you that together we can, we can join in praise of who you are and celebrate the completion of your work, uh, the fact that we are no longer slaves, the fact that we can stand before you whole and complete and loved because of who you are, not because of what we've done or haven't done. I uh, would thank you for it. And I pray that as I talk this morning, Lord, you would use these words to speak to the hearts and minds of every person in the room, myself included. Holy Spirit, speak and do what only you can do in this space today. We thank you and praise you. Amen. 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 So I'm a child of the 90s. Pastor talks a lot about the 70s. I was born in the 70s. No harm, no foul. Who else, anybody else born in the 70s in the room? Okay, lots of us. Lives were being changed by the Holy Spirit when we were born. That's awesome. And my life was changed in the 90s. I was in high school in 1992, and uh, it was a great season of life. The Buffalo Bills were in Super Bowls. Yep, they were. For all of you people who don't remember that, it actually did happen. In 1992, there's also some other exciting things that happened. Uh, flannels were cool, and I'm super happy that flannels are coming back. Anybody else? Yes comfortable clothing. I keep watching teenagers walk around town in like pajama bottoms and flannel shirts, and I'm like, all right, go for it. For just love it up. 1992 was a year for me where I, I learned what wrestling was. So 1992, yes, I was hopeful that the Bills would win a Super Bowl, and I learned what disappointment was again. Um, but I went to a friend's house, and they were talking about wrestling. And my brother, my older brother, who's about 18 months older than me, was a pretty good athlete. And he had been recruited by the wrestling coach uh, as, for their heavyweight wrestling spot. And so he and his friends kind of started this conversation about wrestling. And I was like, man, this, this sounds kind of cool. It sounds tough. sounds rough and tumble like warrior, you know, kind of stuff. And I was like, I'm going to check this out. So I showed up at a practice and I soon found out that destruction can be found in a wrestling room. Like you can be completely destroyed and completely built back up again one day. And the same thing can happen the next day and beat up, bruised, and then go back for more. And I was like, why in the world do these guys do this? This is insane, right? Like, we've got some wrestlers from Beeville and from the surrounding area who attend our church. They know what I'm talking about. We've got coaches and Kevin Paul over here. He had a great day yesterday. We've got people who know what it's like to walk into a wrestling room, get beat up, and leave, and then come back the next day for some reason. Like, they've got a twisted part of their brain that just continues to bring them back for more. And in 1992, I was looking at that, and in a practice, I was like, man, this is tough. Like, they just let me come out and practice and I got beat up pretty good. And, um, and my first match kind of changed things. Now, I wasn't wrestling in this match. I was standing by as an observer. I wasn't even on the team yet. I just came to a couple practices to kind of first serve on the team. And 
went out and watched a match happen. And, and in this one match, something significant had happened. So if you could just kind of give me a moment to give you a little bit of the backstory. See, this match was happening on a weeknight, but the previous weekend, there was a tournament where uh, things had got kind of heated in one weight class. And uh, one of the gentlemen who was wrestling for first and second place had got thrown pretty hard, and he got hurt, so he yelled out in pain. So he yelled out in pain, and the assumption was that he wasn't really hurt, but he wanted to take advantage of the person throwing him. So he took the fall and the first place victory by default. Okay, does that make sense? You with me? If that makes sense and you're with me, clap your hands once. All right, half of you. Awesome. Um, the rest of you are wrestlers, so you're just not going to clap for me because you don't do anything anybody tells you except for your coach. That's cool. So, <clears throat> so we get to this match the following week, and the two wrestlers that were wrestling in that finals match are head-to-head. -head. And in this match, they wrestle, and the one who took second place, who lost by default, beats the other one, right? And in the final lineup, if you haven't ever been to a wrestling match, I encourage you to do so at the end. It's one of the sports where they still actually, in dual meets, they'll walk a line and they'll shake hands and say, good game, congratulations, good match, congratulations. And they try to build this sense of respect for one another as competitors, right? Even though they've gone hard for a long time and tried to beat the snot out of each other, they still come back and they respect each other enough to know that we're in it for the long haul. At the end of this match, I saw something different. I saw guys walk across the mat shaking hands, and then in one final move of aggression, I saw my brother shove into the other kid from the other team that had kind of caused some ripples in the, in the water, so to speak. And w before you know it, without, without any clue of what was gonna happen next, this young teenager sitting on the sidelines is watching a huge brawl breakout in this wrestling room. I mean, wrestlers fighting wrestlers, parents diving off of bleachers onto wrestlers and wrestling parents. And, and I'm thinking in this moment, what, what do you think I'm thinking in this moment? I'm, th I'm thinking, this is the sport for me. <laughs> this is it. I, I found it. God, thank you. Thank you. This is it. Now, to make a long story a little bit longer, the next day I go to practice and Coach Dan, uh, Coach Dan and Coach Dave Fire were two men that, that um, sacrificed a ton of time, energy, and effort, as many coaches do, for the sake of the guys on their team. And Coach Dan was kind of the visionary, kind of the inspirer of the two, and Coach Dave was the technician. Coach Dan came into the wrestling room the following day and everybody was kind of quiet, like, what is going to happen right now? Like, Nobody really knew what to expect from him based on what had happened because there was no metric for it. Coach Dan came in and laid out a plan of correction for every wrestler on the team. Coach Dan came in and said, this behavior will never be tolerated. You will all spend extra time in practice. You will all spend extra time talking with your parents about what happened yesterday. And he laid out a plan, a strategy, to make sure that his team knew what his values were and at the end of the conversation, and this is what kind of has stuck with me most, he laid out this plan and he talked to us about what we all had to do together as a team. And at the end he said, but we got him, didn't we? <laughs> and when he said that, there was a clear expectation for making things right, but there was a deep sense of community and connection around a battle that we waged together. 
that I wasn't even really part of, but just sat on the outside of, and I immediately got pulled in and excited about what was next for our little group of wrestlers. Coach Dan, I don't know if he would write it in a book or anything like that, but he knew something that was fundamental, and that's that the behaviors and the stories that leaders tell change the culture of a group, right? The behaviors of the leaders and the stories of the leaders that they tell, they shift and they change the people that are part of that group. And I'm telling you this today, not because I just want to share with you a fond memory of my childhood, but because I believe that the church is a place of culture, and it's a place where culture and gospel meet. And we need to be a church that remembers the gospel story and retells it, causing a chain reaction. A chain reaction of culture, not just in our small groups, but in our community, in the larger community around us. And I'm going to ask you today, I'm going to put my intent right up front. I'm going to say I'm going to ask you to consider being part of a gospel-shaped group or a gospel-shaped community called a life group or a ministry or maybe even a one-on-one coaching relationship or life path that you could jump into this very day, jump right in at 3 o'clock. One of these spaces where you can start to see the story of the gospel shape your own life and shape the lives of the people that you're connected with. So, let's dive in. I want you to open up in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Um, just hang your, just put your finger there for a second. I want to um, say this. The culture, and remind you, the cult, if, you have, if you're taking notes today, write this down. The culture of any group is defined by the behaviors of its members and reinforced by the stories they tell. If you're looking for more on that, there's a book called Lead with a Story that has that in there. It's fantastic. The culture of any group is defined by the behaviors of its members and reinforced by the story they tell. The big question is, what stories are shaping your life? What story is shaping your life? The people you choose to spend time with and the stories they're telling and the behaviors that they're acting on are shaping your life. They are. The question isn't if, it's how. So I want to encourage you to evaluate today, maybe ask some introspective questions. What are the groups that I'm spending a bunch of time with? What are the the champion causes that I'm part of? And how are they, what stories are they telling? And what story am I telling as a result of that? So Paul, in the midst of describing this gospel-shaped community that I'm referring to today, Um, Paul does it well, but I'm kind of entering into careful territory as a preacher. And I want to be honest, I'm not often comfortable preaching topical messages. Uh, I get afraid that I'm going to misrepresent the text, and I want to be careful to use Scripture for what Scripture is written for and not put my intent on it, right? But I think if we read the Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see one thing for sure. We see the change of communities by the work of the gospel in them. So as Paul pens letters to the Romans, to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, to all these different groups, we see him writing hellos and goodbyes, and we see what he thinks about that community and what it should look like. So I'm going to take a second to read over this text, and we're going to see what that gospel-shaped community in Rome looked like and learn from it. Can we do that? Awesome. Awesome. So here it is, Romans 1, 1 through 7. This letter is from Paul a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news, just like Joshua did in our video today. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his holy people, his own holy people. May God your Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace, which is a couple of my favorite words throughout all these stories, throughout all these letters is grace and peace. Paul is constantly telling his people grace and peace. My my prayer is that grace and peace would be on you, with you, wherever you go. So one of the things I see right away when Paul starts writing these letters, and you'll see it in every one of his letters, is he gets to the gospel first. He gets to the gospel first. And I don't want to pretend, and I think that in a room this size with this number of people, there's a high chance that a lot of you may have heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ, or the good news as Paul writes it, but you've never really had a simple form of explanation for it. And, and I'm one of those who needs things put simple. All right, the message today that you're hearing is not complicated, it's simple, but it's also not easy. It's not easy to be part of a community of people that are being shaped by the gospel. It's messy, sometimes it's ugly. It's not easy, but it's simple. So Paul writes basically an explanation of the gospel. And I wanna give you a simple tool to help remember this, and we'll just take a few minutes to process this together. It's from Dare to Share Ministries, and we'll have it up on the screen for you. It's the gospel in six words, or as they call it, life in six words, G-O-S-P-E-L. So if you're taking notes, you can put that on your sheet and write, God created us to be with him, G. Get it? God created us to be with him. See, the gospel doesn't start in the New Testament. It starts in Genesis. God created all things for his glory perfectly and symbiotically, organically, working together with him for his glory. See, God created this world without destruction, without death, without global warming, without all the things that are breaking down now. He created it. The gospel starts with us understanding who God is and how he created us to be in relationship with him. We are unique in creation, and this should be noted more now in our culture than ever, we are unique in creation as image bearers of God. Human beings have the one and only opportunity of all creation to reflect the image of God to the rest of the world. That's important, that we understand what our part is in this creation. When we do what God called us to do, we reflect his image in a way that nothing else can. Oh, our sins separate us from God. If you know the Adam and Eve story in the garden, there was instructions laid to them, and Adam and Eve, original sin, enters the garden by way of their rebellion and their disobedience, thus bringing death into the world. Adam and Eve brought sin, and it spread to all mankind, separating us from God. There's a gap between us and God that was forever created that we could never breach. Yes, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Death came to all people because all people sinned. And we can't make that right because we're born in sin. There's a fracture in us. There's a selfishness that we're, that we're born with that is part of the fallenness of this world. And I, I just want to sidebar here real quick. Hey, um, we're all in that. So whatever your preference to point the finger at of sin, um, 
watch out. Because the one thing that you look at other people and you go, that's atrocious, I can't believe they would do that. There is a list of things in your account that anybody else could point the finger at. We're all broken and fallen, and we all need a savior. All of us. So our sins separate us from God. Sins can't be removed by our good works. There's no amount of perfection, no amount of good work that would ever cover the sin that separates you from God. P is paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. Hallelujah. If you know that and you believe it and you've been changed by it, say amen. Amen. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. I didn't say that to make those of you who don't believe that feel uncomfortable. I said that so that you would know there is a celebration effect. When When we know that Jesus died for our sin, he paid for it. There's a reason to rejoice. Romans 5, Romans 5, 12 through 21 talks all about the death that came by sin to all and the life that came by Jesus to e everyone. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And this is why scripture says that we must be born again, right? Everyone has the opportunity. We even heard about it in communion today. John 3, 16 says that no matter who you are, if you place your faith in Christ, you will be, can be, and must be born again. It happens as a result of your faith. And then L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Don't be confused. Yeah, celebrate that. You're like, I need that eternal life and the knowledge of it. Don't be confused, though. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment you place your faith in Christ. Eternity is wrapped up in the heart of a person that carries the Spirit of God with them. You can walk in the newness of life and the eternal blessing of God now. It's just a matter of reception. And it's not the kind that the patriots aren't going to make today. It's the kind that we receive by faith. Christ's forgiveness for us. Sorry, Pastor. So, Paul talks about the gospel. He lays it out in the beginning of Romans, and he wants to make sure, I believe wholeheartedly, that Paul is very concerned about the the people in Rome understanding the truth of the gospel, as I am for you today. And if the only thing you get out of today is the idea that Jesus Christ died for your sin, and you have the opportunity to be freed from the weight of the things that hold you back because of what he's done, then fantastic, done. Like, hallelujah. When we close today, I want you to pray a prayer to receive that. You can do it right now if you didn't do it to communion. Today's a day for your life to be changed and eternity to enter into the space of your heart, all right? Yes, amen. If that's all you get, but let's continue here, all right? There's more to the story, which is good news for those of us who need to know that there's a community of people on our side. Does anybody need to know that there's a community of people on your side? Anybody in the room? If you, if you know that, raise your hand. Raise your hand in there. Yeah, okay, that's almost all of us. Great, fantastic. The rest of you are just like, I don't need nobody. It's just, I'm good back here. All right. So, let me tell you, I've talked about what the gospel is. Let's talk about what it isn't. All right, the gospel is good news, not good advice. It's good news not good advice. Did you hear that in his talk, when Paul's writing, he's saying, this is the good news. He didn't say, here's some instructions. Here's some advice that I want to give you so that you can be closer to God. He said, there's a good news that we get to tell and proclaim. The gospel is not primarily a way of life. It is not something we do, but it's something that has been done for us. Shauna mentioned this. It's something we proclaim as a result of receiving. The gospel isn't us working harder to make our lives better or doing good acts of kindness. 
so that we can be closer to Jesus. It's a reception of what he's done. The power of life change found in this community is not a result of charismatic leaders, well-run programs, high levels of achievement or activity, or any other man-made system. And be careful today, I'm gonna talk about what the characteristics of a gospel-shaped group look like, and some of you, you're bent towards achievement, right? You're like, okay, I'm gonna, if that's a gospel-shaped community and I'm a life group leader, I need to make sure all these things are happening in my life group, okay? And I understand and I respect that, but here's the thing. Life change doesn't happen because you're trying to do these things. Life change happens because the gospel is at work in people's lives and hearts. And as leaders, we need to be sensitive to that, prepare with excellence and do things with expectancy, but not get so far down the road that we start to take the blame when things go wrong or the credit when things go right. The gospel is good news, not good advice. There's a grateful response of worship in the heart of a person that believes, and there's nothing to prove in that but everything to gain. I needed to hear that this week preparing for this message. I could get up here and be a total doofus, and God still loves me just as much, right? I probably have been a doofus a couple times already. God still loves me. Ha <laughs> ha! The gospel does what next, the gospel does, let's keep moving, what instructions cannot. The gospel does what instructions cannot. My stepdad um, passed away a few years back, but one of the things that he had, and I thought this was amazing, was a, was a ship in a bottle. Anybody ever seen one of those? Like a sailboat all built inside a glass bottle. If you've never seen one of those, Google it later, or don't, don't do it now, just later. Hang on. Um, and one of the things that threw me was like, how do they get all this stuff together? Like the little like strings, like they're so... They have to be so precise and use these tools to get inside of there, I think, unless they have some kind of shrinking machine. But they got it all in there, right? And so they've had to follow specific instructions to put it together. But one of the things that always threw me is when he wasn't looking, I would pick it up and shake it. <laughs> I would shake it and it would stay together. And I was like, huh, that stinks. So <laughs> same reason I wanted to be on a wrestling team, just like destruction, fighting, yes. Um, so I grabbed the jar and I would shake it. And one of the things that struck me is that it would always stay together. The gospel is, the, is not just the way things come together, but it's the way things hold together. Some of you need to hear that, right? Like, you're not held together by your church participation. You're not held together by reading your Bible every day, though that's a great thing and a great habit to be in. You're held together by the power of God at work through his spirit. And he is at work in you and through you and with you every day. He doesn't stop. So it's good, it's, it does what instructions cannot. And just in case, just, uh, this isn't my opinion, Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also, yes, the Greek. Hallelujah, we can claim that for ourselves. So, now that we've talked a little bit about what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't, let's talk about what a gospel-shaped community looks like, all right? Now, here's some characteristics. I'm picking a few of these that I really like and I think are critical for our culture right now so that you can know this is what it shall be according to God's word. Um, but there's, if you read through all of scripture, you could see a number of expressions of a gospel-shaped community that go beyond what I'm talking about this morning, okay? So there's lots of them. I'm just choosing a few. Um, a gospel-shaped community is grateful to God for one another. A gospel-shaped community is a place where you can go to and know that people are going to be grateful for who you are 
before God because you're an image bearer of God, right? No matter what you've done and no matter who you are, there's a founded belief that every person is created by God and is made in the image of God. So there's a genuine respect for all of life, every human being in a gospel-shaped community. In 1 Corinthians 16, at the end of that letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about this. And he talks about the importance. He says, the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisha, I think that's how you say it, we'll check it later. Together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's demonstrate. Pastor, come on up here. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, listen, I, I, I can joke like that, but I will, grab, like, I will grab my son around the neck, and I will kiss him on the cheek, and, and I love him like crazy. I'll grab my daughters, and I'll kiss him, and there's been times I'll see my brother. I haven't seen him in a while, and I'll grab him, and I'll hug him, and I'll squeeze him like I have never seen him before, right? And I'm just hugging him, and I'm pulling him in, and, and there's this moment of gratefulness for who we are that is an expression of our love for one another that Paul is writing and saying, hey, when you meet together, love one another. Be grateful for one another, right? And I know that there's, a, there's no such thing as a perfect community. If you find it, you just ruined it. But Took a second. <laughs> you're loved. This is a place of love. Um, but you're broken. So Paul's talking about the acknowledgement of someone else's perspective, the acknowledgement of who other people are in that community. The, I would call the current word for it empathy, being grateful for one another and having empathy towards one another. It's acknowledging someone else's reality, and that, by the way, does not require agreement. You can be part of a community of people and acknowledge their perspective on life and even stand beside them shoulder to shoulder and look out from their perspective and love them well and not agree. That's okay. And that's part of being in a community of people that care for one another as human beings created in the image of God. And Paul talked about this, about loving people. And, and as a matter of fact, if you don't trust Paul, Jesus kind of talked about that too, loving one another loving God first and loving one another. And on that note, compassionately drawing close to human beings is going to be messy. It's gonna be messy. Um, if you think, and I mentioned this before, if you think that being part of a group is gonna be simple, you're right, but it's gonna be messy. The gospel leaves no room for preferential treatment of insiders or members. And as a matter of fact, I think you can actually make a case that it leaves room for preferential treatment for outsiders rather than insiders. I won't say either way, but I think there's more of a tendency for us to kind of turn inward and focus on each other that are believers in Christ instead of turn outward, right? So a big part of the community that is gospel-shaped is saying, who are the people that think and talk and tell different stories than us, and how can we love them well? And Christian mission rises as a result of our desire to love people that are different. <coughs> Sorry. So as I, as I kind of come to the end of this thought, I want to tell you, Jesus had very real expressions of very meaningful relationship with people that are very different than him. And some would say that it's the thing that got him killed. Our sins are obviously the major matter on the table for him. 
But one of the times where he said, is today a day to save a life or destroy it, was when he chose to reach out and heal a leper. And Jesus chose to reach out and heal a leper on the Sabbath day. And in the midst of that moment, when he stepped into the hopelessness of that scenario with a man who simply asked for help, the peop- all the people around him hated him for it. All the religious people hated him for it. And I think Jesus set the tone for the gospel to be shaped by a community of people that are willing to step up for the helpless, that are willing to speak for the voiceless, and say, I'm going to go out of my way, not because you look like me, smell like me, or talk like me, but because you have a need and you're made in the image of God. And our communities that we call life groups have serve projects that are not designed for us to help one another out and pat each other on the back as good Christian people. They're designed to go to the places where the lepers are and find the place where the voiceless are and give them a voice or find the place where the sick are and give them healing. A gospel-shaped community is a place that everyone can be safe. D.A. Carson said this. I'll put it in short form. He said, in this light, kind of what we're talking about, the church, or a gospel-shaped community, are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. A band of natural enemies that love one another for Jesus' sake. A gospel-shaped community should be a place that normalizes suffering. I know that's hard to hear. But the Bible is not quiet on the matter of suffering. Paul was very clear that he suffered for Christ's sake and there was difficulty in his life and he wrote and got encouragement by the fact that others knew that suffering was normal. He said, I don't want you to be unaware that I'm suffering, but I want you to take comfort in the same comfort I have and that's with God. And the same comfort I have in my suffering, you can have in your rejoicing and the same comfort you have in your rejoicing, I can have in my suffering. That God is our comforter. You see, fear has fangs, doesn't it? Fear has these teeth that bite into us, and if we're afraid all our lives of doing something that might bring a difficult scenario or sacrifice that might cost us something, we will refuse to live in the fullness of the gospel community that God has called us to live in. Knowing and becoming aware that we are all broken and we all suffer from the same sin sickness takes the fear and the teeth out of failure. So our gospel communities should be a place that are safe for people to not be perfect and fall apart. Let me say that again. The gospel community, the church, and the life groups and the ministries of this church should be a place where it's okay for people to fall apart because they're held together not by their goodness or their perfection but by God's goodness and the people around them are reminding them that it's okay. God's gonna bring us through this. And the comfort that we get can be reminded to us by God and the people around us. Thirdly, um, the gospel-shaped community is a place of giving and listening to feedback. (laughs) Like, wait a second, this is happy until now. I don't want you to talk to me in a gospel community about what I'm doing wrong or what I should do differently, but if you don't read the Bible, or if you do read the Bible, you will see very clearly that Paul wasn't afraid to tell people what they ought to or not ought to be doing. And he was hoping that they were doing that for each other. And here's the thing, we, we, that's not a license to just blast people whenever you feel like it. Because remember the empathy. You don't get the chance to point the finger until you've spent a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy standing beside someone and seeing the world from their perspective. And there should be a tension in you as a person involved in gospel community that would say, 
Is it loving to speak these words? Are they really needing what I'm thinking right now, or do I just want to tell them what to do? And a gospel community realizes that God is at work even in the heart of the person that's giving the feedback. There should be a tension of compassion and truth. I would even, I saw a speaker this week, he kind of pulled a rubber band out and I thought it was a good illustration. He said, there's this tension where I, I know they're, they're doing the wrong thing and it's going to destroy them, but I love them so much and I don't want to lose the opportunity. And, and, I, and I just want them to know that there's, there's a better way and I want to tell them what to do, but I need to listen carefully so I don't break their heart. And the tension isn't wrong, but it's a tension we should all be in as people in relationship because you live your life in the context of relationships. And if you just snap that, I promise you'll miss opportunities for people to be moved by God through your life. Carry that tension of compassionate feedback and love towards the people you're in relationship with. Lastly, a gospel-shaped community brings glory to God. Brings glory to God. And, and I read this in John 17, 5, where Jesus says, um, restore to me the glory that we had before you created the world. And, and he says, there's this glory, he alludes to this glory that he had in relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So there's this glorious relationship that's happening between them. And I think as image bearers called to reflect the image of God, there's something that happens in the life of the church and the world when God's people choose to live in relationship with one another that reflects the glory of God in a way that nothing else can. So there's a glory in that. Messy? Yes. Hard? Yeah. Simple? Yeah. Stepping into someone's life and hanging out, making a commitment to a 12-week semester of life groups or coming and hanging out at youth ministry as a teenager. Is it simple? Yes. Messy? Yes. Worth it? Yes. What if we had spaces in our lives where we knew that the people we were meeting with thought positively of us all the time? Of who we are. Not of what we do, but of who we are. What if we knew that in that space, the fear of failure would be gone because we knew that in the midst of that, we could share our deepest concerns about rejection and still be loved? You know, somebody said, you know, and the biggest fear of any man is to be fully known and rejected. That's tragic that we live in a world where most of the spaces we live in, people are trying to get to know you with this, with this intent that we're not quite sure about. But a gospel-shaped community can be a place where people are fully known and fully loved because that's what God does for us. He fully knows us and he fully loves us. And we ought to be a people that are in kind with that kind of relationship. And that's what Paul says in his final greetings. In his final greetings of every letter, he makes sure to end with grace and peace. He makes sure to remind the people that he's writing to that it's all wrapped up in the grace and peace of God. And maybe you're here today and you're going, you know, this sounds good, like I've never really had that before, and what if I did have a community of people that compassionately acknowledged my struggle? What if I had a group of people that walked with me through my suffering and dark days? What if I had a group of people in my life that spoke truth to me that didn't make me feel small, but rather I knew that the truth they were speaking was for my good? In the final greetings of Paul, and I think what we can learn from this is that we should all know that there is a place of grace and peace. And that place 
is called the community of God. That place has commonly been known as the church. And a lot of times the church has gotten it wrong. A lot of times the church has gotten it right. But today I'm calling us to a higher place of living. It's a desire to say, God, use us in the way that you've called us to reflect your glory and your image in relationship with one another. I'm gonna stop and give you a time to reflect. The band's gonna play the song, It Is Well, right? All right. <laughs> if not, they are now, I don't know. Um, as they sing the song, I would invite you to just reflect on this talk and ask yourself the question, what communities am I part of? How are they shaping my life? And what's my next step? Ask God that question, not me. After they sing through this once, we'll come together and I have one last challenge for you as we head out. Thanks for tuning in to the message this week. Hey, if you haven't checked out our new membership process called Life Path, it's never too late to jump in. You can jump in on any of the classes which are offered the first, second, and third Sundays of every month. Want to hear more? Come on out to one of our services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. 